All right, so Malachi uh, chapter 3 is what we're going to read. And uh, chapter 3 and 4, actually. And um, think about that. Uh, this, is, this is like the last word of God before the New Testament. So it's like 400 years. Uh, Malachi prophesies 400 years later, John the Baptist comes. So that's what, we're, that's what we're looking at. So I think it's almost like this is the last word. What, so what is, what is like the last thing that God wants to say to his people? Now, of course, we're looking at it as, in the context of this series as uh, the God of the prophets. And so we've looked at the minor prophets, the 12 minor prophets, and this is the last one. We're finishing up this series uh, today. And next, uh, next week we'll be going to Deuteronomy to look at loving God and what that, what that means. But we're looking at trying to understand who God is from the God of the prophets. And so let's listen uh, to chapter 3 and chapter 4 of Malachi. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you. But you say, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there might be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. You've spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord, yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said, it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper, and even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day is coming when that will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. 
Not a root or branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. This is God's word. Let's pray. O Lord our God in heaven, we come before you again and praise you, O Lord, that you are yet you come to us, that you do not let us just sit in our complacency, but that you challenge us and call us to repentance and promise us upon repentance that we will receive your grace, your mercy, your abundant blessing. And so, Lord, we pray that you would work trust in our hearts, that you would give us sensitivity to hear what you would speak to us today, that you would challenge each one of us to consider our ways and to seek the hope that is in you alone. And we ask all this in the name of our great Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's always a surprise to people. Some pastor, some bishop, some priest does something terrible, often even the name of religion, making a disgrace of the church, causing people to question their faith. And it's the sort of thing that really can hit people hard. I remember when the scandal, some of the scandals that have gone over in the past year, talking to some people who were part of churches and just saying, man, I just have been reeling because of this. But if we had read the, the Bible clearly, then we probably would not have been as surprised. Because what we see is that Jesus was put to death by whom? The religious leaders of his day. Now, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they get a bad rap, and everybody knows they're bad and all that, and we're not like them. But if you look at the rest of the scriptures, you'll see that even the most faithful committed terrible sins. Moses hit the rock. Mark abandoned Paul. David murdered Uriah. Peter denied Jesus. The corruption that remains within believers can manifest itself in the worst of sins, even sometimes using God's word and religion to serve our own corruption. Now, religion is something that can help us a lot. It's something that shows us the transcendent God, which can humble us. It's something that shows us the brotherhood of human beings and can help us to love other people. In the case of of our Christian faith, it teaches us that we are sinners in need of grace, and therefore we ought to humble ourselves because every gift that we have is due to God's gift and not to what we merit. However, no tool used against pride is immune from becoming a tool of our pride. And so often, we can take religion and use it as a way of exalting ourselves, as a way of looking down on others, and even use the grace of God as a way of saying we are better because we get the grace of God unlike those idiots over there. And that's what Malachi's audience experienced. They did wrong, but they didn't see it in, big, in large part because they were a very religious people. Zechariah and Haggai uh, prophesied and challenged the people, and Malachi comes a few years after 
And he spoke to a people who in many ways were doing the right sort of things. And they thought they were doing the right things. So when Malachi confronted them with their sin, they said, how are we doing wrong? How have we sinned? And you can see that this is the same sort of thing that Jesus was dealing with. When he comes on the scene, he, recognized, he was dealing with the people who weren't idolaters in the same way that the people in the Old Testament were. They didn't fall into the same sins. But they still had adapted the Bible to their way of life. And they only focused on those things that they did well and they forgot those things that they did badly. So they, they, he had to say to them, look, you know, good, you have family values. You're not committing adultery. But, it, but you've committed adultery in your heart. You follow the letter of the law. You gave a certificate of divorce as Moses commanded. But that wasn't God's intention. God's intention was that would be one man and one woman for one lifetime. And so it's, that's how things go. And so we need to see that just as easy in our day, especially in a polarized situation like ours, where we can look at opponents and see things that are clearly contrary to God's law to justify ourselves because we're not like them, because we don't do those things, and miss the way God might want to challenge us. So how do we avoid letting religion become a tool of our pride? That's what we want to consider today. Now it's interesting. You'll, you'll hear, there, there's a recognition of this truth that you'll hear often in our, in our circles and around here in the South. And it'll, it'll be like this. You know, Christianity is a, is a relationship, not a religion. And there's a truth in that, right? That God doesn't just want us to perform certain rites and, and go through rituals and, and he wants to have a loving relationship with us. So they capture that. But on the other hand, what it misses is, first of all, religion is not in itself bad. Religion is an organized way of connecting with the transcendent God. But also we can miss this, that you can just as easily misuse that idea, uh, Christianity is a relationship, not a religion, as any other idea. In fact, you might use it to say, well, hey, the rules don't apply to me because it's just about a relationship. This isn't about religion. And immediately it becomes a tool of our pride. Or you can look down on those who don't hold that. No, there's really no way around this fact that everything we use can kind of become a tool of our corruption. So, so what are we to do? Well, let's listen to the challenge of Malachi. And I want you to see three things that he shows us that we should consider that uh, will help us with this. Again, we all need to humble ourselves and seek the Lord's grace, as we'll see. But there's three things, I think, that we can particularly use that will be helpful. One is to welcome testing. Second is to consider God's transcendence. And third is to wait on God's timing. To wait on God's timing. So Malachi, if you read the, the whole book, and you saw some of this in chapter 3, it follows a specific pattern. What will happen is, Malachi will accuse them of a certain sin. He'll say, you have wearied the Lord with your words. Then he'll kind of speak for the people who will respond by saying something like this. How have we wearied him? You ask. And then he provides further explanation. For example, in 2.17 he says, you will say, all who do good, evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them, or where is the God of justice? So they were saying things that really showed that they weren't honoring God. And it was, it's like what we read in Malachi 
It is to say, you have said it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by seeking the Lord? Now, we might, we might think of ourselves as those who don't say these kinds of things. We might say, well, we don't say it's futile to serve the Lord or it's a waste of time. Or we might say um, that uh, we're not saying the Lord doesn't care about righteousness and justice. But at the same time, when we approach our daily tasks in seeking the Lord, like prayer, Bible reading, gathering of people, and so on, do we often not say, oh, what do these things really matter? I got better things to do. Now, we might not say it that explicitly, but in our hearts, we go about building our own kingdoms rather than seeking the kingdom of the Lord. Another example of this is that, that um, is in, in regards to gifts to God. Now, they gave gifts to God, but how did they give gifts to the Lord? Well, if you go back to chapter 1, he says, basically, you take the worst part of your flock that you probably wouldn't even want to use anyways, and you give God what's left over, the lame, the blind, the, the ones that are diseased, and that's how you give to the Lord. And so the Lord says, return to me. But they say, well, how do we need to, what do we need to do to return? And he asks, and he tells them, that you are to give your first fruits. Give the best to the Lord. Give what's first. Give what's, what I give you first. And particularly, he says, in terms of the tithes, meaning you take what you have and you give to the Lord first and you trust the Lord with the rest. And he tells them, if they do that, that he will bless them and that he will, they will experience the blessing of the Lord. So you see, they thought they were giving, but they didn't let the Lord challenge them. Now, here's the key point. As you look through Malachi, see how he's challenging the people. They think they're doing okay. They're self-deceived. They think everything's going okay, right? But then he challenges them to think about things a little bit more deeply. And so I'm not saying that our specific sins are exactly the same as Malachi's. We come up with different ways to avoid God's commands. And what we need is to let the Lord challenge us to be open to how the Lord would speak to us and to say, you know, not just what I see right now, but what, in what ways is my life not lining up with the Lord? Now, how can, we, how can we carry that out? Well, first of all, we should pray about it. So that's where it begins. We need to recognize that each of us has blind spots, things that we've covered over, areas where we need to grow, areas where we need to repent. And so we need to pray like the psalmist. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So ask God to help you. Recognize it's a problem and ask the Lord to help you. Secondly, try to get clear on the standards. Try to get clear on the standards. And what that means is, you know, take some description of God's law in the Ten Commandments or the Fruit of the Spirit or the Sermon on the Mount or uh, Colossians chapter 3, one of these places, Romans chapter 12, where there's like, he just lists, here's the things that God wants you to do. And just walk through those and say, Lord, where am I when these, in regards to these things? Where would you challenge me to repent and seek your grace and transforming power and forgiveness? So that's the second thing. Get clear on the standards. Third, get friends to help you. 
And so here's what I always encourage people to do. Find friends who will challenge you and encourage you. You know, it's easy for just, just to put around ourselves those who will tell us we're doing okay or who will never challenge us. But we need people who will challenge us. But the other thing is, be careful also of those who will only challenge you. Some people become obsessed with the wrong things you're doing. And that's not actually, generally that's not in accord with reality either. For some reason we get fixated on someone and think that he's doing wrong things all the time, uh, like our presidents, depending on the side of the aisle that you're on. Um, but that happens with individuals and in families too. It's like all we see is the wrong thing. Those kinds of people are not going to help you that much. You need people who encourage you, and you need people who will challenge you. And the person who can do that well is a friend indeed. And then fourth, listen sympathetically to views different from your own. So when we hear something that's different, we see it as a threat generally. And so oftentimes our reaction is to attack back or think of how we can refute it. But the Bible tells us that when we, when we encounter other people, our first reaction should be to listen. Be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. And so, you know, find people who are saying different things than you and, and learn to say, what are they saying? What can I learn here? You know, there's people, and, and by that I'm not necessarily saying, I think we could probably learn something from most people in the world. Um, and um, I was just, I was thinking about, I, I wrote on Facebook the, today that this, this Muslim waiter I had in, in, um, in Egypt at this restaurant in Hergada. And uh, we're just talking about giving. And he, says, and he said, today I'm rich, tomorrow I may be poor. Today you are poor, tomorrow you may be rich. God has made the human family to help each other in our various conditions. And that just stuck with me. So, but this is a Muslim man. He's of a different religion. Um, but yet, it was like, oh, well, that, t- that touches me. And maybe I don't think about that the way I should. But especially within our Christian faith, I think uh, the Lord reveals different things to different parts of the body. And we can hear, you know, what the Lord is speaking, certainly within our own congregation, you know, that people are going to come with different perspectives. Um, we have had di- a lot of different perspectives over the last year and a half. But by God's grace, we've been able to stick together, basically, as a congregation. And uh, one of the ways we can further that is by making our first reaction when we find something different is to listen, not to seek to refute. And that will help us to see our blind spots. So as I look at the book of Malachi, it's just it's such, a, it's such a challenge for us to say, here is, here is a testament. Here is a... Here is something where God is saying to us, look, religious community, you can get used to what you're doing and think it's okay and it not be okay. you got to keep challenging yourself. you got to keep listening. Keep hearing what I'm saying. Don't just get complacent. See where I'm leading you to repent. That's one of the key things we see in Malachi, and we should learn to welcome that, even though I, I know it's painful at times. So that's the first thing is welcome testing. Second is consider God's transcendence. That is how awesome, how glorious and mighty he is. And one of the things you will see in the prophets, they're all talking about the day of the Lord. The Lord is coming and it's going to be a big day and he's going to come and you know right now we may not see the Lord in all his awesomeness and glory with our eyes, but that day it will be different. 
And no one will be able to argue about how, how valuable our works are or whatever. We're all going to be humbled before the Lord God. And that's what Malachi speaks about. He says the day of the Lord is coming. But he says, before the day of the Lord comes, I'm going to send two messengers. Two messengers. The first messenger he talks about is in Malachi 4, verse 5. He says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that grateful and dreadful day of the Lord come. So God was going to send Elijah. And what did Elijah do? He called the people to repentance. Now, what we see is that Jesus tells us who that Elijah was. He actually says he did come. Listen to what he says in Matthew 17, 11 through 13. His, people were at, or his disciples asked him, knowing this passage, wasn't there going to be an Elijah who was to come? Elijah was going to come back? And he says, listen, Jesus replied, to be sure. Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. So we have the Lord telling us, who is this Elijah? It is John the Baptist, and he has already come. And so what did he tell the people to do? Turn their hearts back to the fathers and the sons to their and the sons to their fathers and the fathers to their children. In a way, everybody repenting, turning to consider what God had said before, and seeking repentance. But then there is a second messenger. And we read about him in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. Now, here it says that this messenger is the Lord. Now, there's two words for Lord in the Old Testament. One, you'll, in most of your Bibles, you'll see it. One is in all caps. That is actually a translation of the word Jehovah or Yahweh, the proper name for God. This one is, the other one is Adonai, which is, means like what we would say as a Lord or a master. And in this case, it is used of the Lord, of the Lord God. And so we see that it is the Lord of the covenant, who is coming to his people. And, and so it is someone that was, had his way prepared before him by Elijah. And what we see is in the New Testament that this Lord who was coming was Jesus. And so why do we believe that Jesus is God? Um, it's not just one verse or another in the Bible. It's that the whole Bible testifies to this idea that this is the Lord God Almighty come in human flesh. And this is one of those examples. Now, here's the thing, though, for us to consider. What, what does it look like when the Lord God Almighty comes? Well, listen to what it says in Malachi 3, 2 through 3. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. And so what is it, what is it happens when the Lord shows up? It means it's a challenge for everybody, the righteous as well as the wicked. And we often talk, use this phrase that we say, we want God to show up. 
And, one th- and what that means for us is what it meant in the Old Testament is we, want, we have a difficult situation and we want God to come and fix it. But what we see also from the Bible is that when God shows up, yeah, he's going to deal with the problems, but some of those problems are right here. And it's going to be a challenge to us as well as a help. That's what God is saying. And so we don't need to wait for that day of the Lord. Indeed, we should not. We can see that the Lord God is above all and humble ourselves before him right now and recognize that he has challenges for us as well as encourages encouragement. So keeping in our hearts and minds the transcendence of God will keep us from turning our religion into a tool of our pride because we see all of ourselves as humbled before the Lord. So that's the second thing. Consider God's transcendence. But then the third thing to help us keep religion from becoming a tool of our pride is to wait on God's timing. So why do we distort religion? And why do we use it in wrong ways? Well, it's in part because we are, we are wanting to get things that we don't have right now. And we can see that pride, in a lot of ways, is rooted in anxiety. Remember that. Remember our sermon series back in February, Abraham, Hagar, and Sarah. You know, why did they end up doing, making a mess of their family by bringing in Hagar into the marriage bed? It was out of their anxiety. The Lord's not going to take care of us. The Lord's not going to fulfill his promises. So, but what's the reverse of that? Is learning to say, God will bless us in his own time. And if he brings us through challenges right now, that's okay. We submit to it. We don't need to resort to injustice. We don't need to hurry along the pleasure that we want by seeking something God has forbidden. We don't need to overdo it. We can wait. The Lord has blessing for us. Now, he gave a specific example of this. He says, God says, bring the first fruits. But why would people not bring the first fruits? Why would they not bring their tithe? Because they're worried that they won't be taken care of, right? It's the same people, reason people don't give today. Because they think, I got to have this. Or I won't be okay. I won't be able to provide. But God actually says, go ahead and give me the first, not just of your money, but of your time, of your talents. And I'm going to make sure you're taken care of. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom. And all these things will be given to you as well. They were afraid and anxious. They looked only at their own resources. And they didn't see the God who was above them. But God says, wait, and I'll bless you. Fill your storehouses. Trust me. You can serve me first. And not only will it be okay, but it'll actually be great. Now that doesn't mean that it's all going to happen right away. They were looking at the righteous and the wicked. They saw some of the wicked who were prospering. They saw some of the righteous who were struggling. And, And what does God say in the face of that? Wait. Just wait, just wait, just wait. I'm going to sort this out. Right? That's one of the big messages of the prophets. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to let the fact that people are doing wrong or have done wrong to you or anybody else destroy you because we have a refuge that God is going to take care of it. And that's what he says. Just wait, just wait, just wait. The end is going to be good. It's all going to turn out. Listen to what he says in Malachi chapter 4, 
verses 2 through 3. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves, and you will trample on the wicked. There will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the days when I act, says the Lord Almighty. We might read that and be like, whoa, wait a minute here. <laughs> That's a God, okay, I got it. I mean, but that seems a little bit extreme. What the Lord is saying, I'm going to sort things out. It may not seem like it right now. Just wait. Just wait. You don't have to, you don't have to give yourself over to anger. You don't have to give yourself over to bitterness. You don't have to give yourself over to injustice. You don't, ha- you don't have to write people off. You can reach out. You can love because God is going to sort it out. God is going to sort it out. Learn to wait on God's timing. And don't try to preempt it. Now, this is, a, this is kind of a hard word, right? <laughs> but that's what this is. It's a challenge. So I think it's very interesting that here at the end of the Old Testament, the last word, it's like, make sure you don't get complacent. The day of the Lord is coming. Religion's a good thing, but let's be cautious. He challenges them to welcome testing, to see God's transcendence and to wait on God's timing. He's going to take care of us. And we can help each other in this. That's what we're here for, to help us not become complacent, to help us keep moving forward. And listen to what it says in verse 16, chapter 3. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. The scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. So they're all struggling with this. Then those who feared the Lord talked together. And what was the result? Then the Lord brings his blessing. We can help each other in this. But even though this is, this is a tough word, it's still a hopeful note. We should take away from this not only that the Lord wants us to welcome testing, but that the Lord will take care of us. As we look to the future, we see a great God who's going to take care of his people. The efforts we put into serving him are not going to be in vain. Seeking the Lord will not be in vain. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. The son of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. The people of God were going to wait 400 years before the messengers came. But they came. They came. And so, the Lord, the messenger of the covenant, who came, will come again. So let's wait and be assured that the Lord who came so long ago in the humble way that he came as a baby and then as a man crucified, has risen again, ascended to heaven, and he will come again with glory with healing in its wings for all who are waiting for him. So let's hope in that, and let's prepare accordingly. Amen.